Welcome to the wonderful world of dance, bringing you exclusive interviews with top dancers and choreographers and reviews of the world's best companies across the globe. You can find lots more on our website at thewonderfulworldofdance.com. Hi, this is Savannah Saunders from The Wonderful World of Dance, and today I am so thrilled to introduce Stephanie Herman, a former prima ballerina who has danced with Mikhail, Mikhail Brishnikov and Rudolf Nureyev, and was a protege of legendary choreographer George Balanchine. After suffering injuries, Stephanie had quite a long journey that has led to her creating her own Pilates ballet program, but her injuries haven't stopped her, and she's recently created her own one woman ballet play that gives a unique insight into her life as a ballerina. So let's hear all about this extraordinary journey. Hi, Stephanie. Hi, Savannah. It's so lovely meeting you and uh, speaking with you today. So great to hear, hear from you. And you're in California at the moment. Beautiful, sunny California. <laughs> yes, yeah, so not jealous at all here in the uh, drizzly, drizzly London. <laughs> So let's go sort of right back to the beginning and sort of before we talk about your um, current projects, you became a principal dancer at the age of 19, which is incredibly young, but tell us firstly, why and how old were you when you started ballet in the first place? I was actually 12 years old, which is kind of late. I was in junior high school in a big gym, a public junior high school in New York City, and I was doing crunches and my gym teacher, Mrs. Roberts, came over to me as I was doing the crunches and was asking me if I would like to join her ballet group. And still continuing with my crunches, I said, uh, but I don't dance. And she says, that's okay. Uh, after school at three o'clock and I said okay and um, that afternoon I came to the after school ballet program and there's this girl Erica who did a pirouette on point and I was just like wow how'd you learn how to do that and she said well I go to the school of American ballet so I went home and I told my mom I said Mom, I want to go to school American Ballet. And she said, okay. And she found out what was necessary. I needed to audition. And so she took me to the audition and I wore a number and I, they told me to point my toes and to jump over uh, a rope and to listen to the music and be musical. And then they said, fine, you're in. Little did I know that this was the School of American Ballet was George Balanchine's school, which was the New York City Ballet School. And I just walked right in there, luckily for Mrs. Roberts, my mother, and Erica. And that was and the start. That's quite an extraordinary, um, like short, from not dancing until 13 and going to well, the school. Well, 12. I, like, oh, sorry. I give it oh. another year. It's 12. <laughs> um, and then going straight into the School of American Ballet. That's quite amazing. Well, I have to share with you when I was born, um, the doctor said to my mother, he never saw a baby with such a, a beautiful arch and instep. Because usually when you're born, it's not developed yet. 
And he says, oh, my God, she should be a dancer. (laughs) (laughs) So I guess I was destined. And my mom, who was a classical pianist, um, I must have it in my genes. I happened to be born with extreme turnout and flexibility and long legs and a pinhead, which are all the things that Balanchine loved. (laughs) So there was a lot of natural ability that I came with, I think. But I think normally when a child is starting dance, they want you to start earlier so you can develop the flexibility, the feet, the turnout, and the musicality. And tell us about your years with the School of American Ballet. Tell us about your training back in those days. Um... We used to get free tickets to the ballet. And I remember going and just like showing off. I too was a ballet dancer and walking with my turnout and thinking, you know, gosh, I'm one of them and the specialness and seeing, you know, Suzanne Farrell and Edward Villela and Jacques Dumbois and, Kay Mazzo and Patricia McBride and all these like recant gorgeous ballerinas and male dancers and the beauty is just I fantasize this is what I want to be when I grow up more than anything and especially some of the roles that Suzanne Farrell dance the more of the adagio I was just like I want to do Apollo when I grow up I want to do Symphony in C second movement when I grow up so I became a long-term goal-oriented person, or maybe I was, but that was my dream, and I held on to it. And how hard was the training back in the days, you know, when you're sort of not in the theatre watching some of your favourite dance starts? Um, You're always being asked to do 250%. And I grew up that you have to do more. You have to do more. And sometimes I think the conflict for me was I am a people pleaser. And I was told in a group class, everybody, Russian ballet teachers, everybody, you must turn out, turn out more. So I would turn out. Little did I know that I had all this turnout already. (laughs) I kept turning out more and more and more. And um, I just wanted to be such a good student and try really hard. And um, I think it gave me the level of expertise and expectation of myself to really strive to be as good as I can. I think the negative might have been that I became a perfectionist in some ways. And I think when I came to the ballet school, I was naive and I just loved to dance around or listen to me, my mother play the piano and it's just, oh, just feel the music. And sometimes in a ballet class, your brain is a left brain and right brain. And sometimes the right brain is just, you just want to dance and listen to the music. And then the left brain is, oh, but I got to turn out more and I got to point my toes more and I got to passe higher and I got to, I got to, I got to. So I think 
for me, now being a wiser woman, <laughs> I've learned to meld the left brain and the right brain together better. But sometimes it was difficult because the left brain would sometimes take over. And when the left brain and the right brain come together is when you really have a good performance or you just feel on top of everything. And tell us about um, life after you graduated from the school. Where, where was your next step? Um, well, you know, everybody in the school felt, you know, they all wanted to be in New York City Ballet. And by the time we got, you know, you go to beginner class and then you go to A class and then B and then C. And by the time you're in D class, you're primed and ready for the company. And at that time, George Balanchine, you know, he start, when he started the company, I think he was really into long leg, tall women. And by the time I got to the D class, I think he started choreographing a little faster stuff and was into this fast movement, like And so he wanted dancers that were more allegro, quick movement, and not so much adagio. So he started taking dancers that were shorter. And I'm five foot nine. That's quite tall. <laughs> that, yes, and on point, I've got big feet. It makes you, I don't know, I've never measured myself on point, but maybe six feet or something like that or more. Um, so I felt very hurt that I wasn't being taken. And I knew that I was good. And the director of the school, Diana Adams, who also would dance roles kind of like my style, kept saying, oh, you're such a beautiful dancer. Don't worry, something's going to happen. And maybe you should start auditioning elsewhere. Um, so sometimes I would take auditions elsewhere, but still take class. And then one day there were three directors that came into the D class to watch. And after class, Diana Adams said to me, can you come into my office? I went into her office and she said, you've just been accepted into three ballet companies, Australia, Canada, and Geneva, Switzerland. Wow. And she said, the good news about Geneva, Switzerland is George Balanchine. It's his company. He's the artistic director and he loves to just go over there and work with his dancers. And there's only 40 dancers in the company opposed to New York City Ballet, which has 110. And she said, um, there's another girl that got into that company too, who's your height. And you got into the other companies and the other girl didn't. So my friend Anya, who was the girl that got into the company, also said she really wanted to go. And I knew if I said, no, I wasn't going to go to that company and go to another one, they wouldn't take her because they wanted the both of us to be opposite each other because of our heights. And I thought about it and I thought, well, you know, I would continue in the Balanchine style and be with this friend and she would also get a job. So I decided to go to Balanchine's Geneva, Le Grand Théâtre de Genève, what at a, the age of 19. What a, what a journey to make at just such a young age. And can I say, what a, what a wonderful heart that you have to 
be so considerate of your lovely friend Anya. <laughs> I hope you're still in touch with her because that's. Oh, a- yep, we we are. <laughs> we just spoke like three days ago. Oh, that's yes. amazing. So tell us about arriving in Geneva and tell us about um, working with Valentin's company and his dance. Um, well. And becoming one of them yourself. Yeah. Thank you. I, um, the plane ride, it was the first time I, I took a plane ride to Europe and Anya and I were so excited. And in those days, the coach was a lot like business class is today and they give you a menu what you're going to eat and we were just like oh this is so exciting and um the plane ride they it was like we were just like two teenagers just getting very excited about this adventure we were going to go into and then we arrived and the um director alfonso kata picked us up at the airport and he says did you see who's on your plane it's greta garbo i go oh okay (laughs) and then he takes us to this place where he set us up in which was a german uh a german home for girls and it was in the old town of geneva on top of the hill and um there was a church uh, across the street, and every 15 minutes, the bells would ring to let you know the time, and there were cobble streets. And coming from New York City, Manhattan, this was so different and beautiful and gorgeous. And I started walking around, and I'd see these guys shining the doorknobs of the doors. And I was like, oh, my gosh, and cleaning up if, like, anything dropped on the ground, which is very different than New York. (laughs) So it was all very, very, very exciting. And tell us about your days with the company. What was it like Um, for you? There were were dancers from all over the world. We Mm -hmm. had dancers from Finland, Romania, Paris, London, and a couple of us from New York, New York. And it was very exciting because you got to meet all these different cultural dancers that all had the same vision of wanting to be dancers or good dancers. And it was the first time, you know, performing, learning a little bit about the depths of competition and internally learning how to work within the the company in that way and also living in a place where i didn't really know the language that well except la décision s'il vous plaît so it was it was a growth and um there there was a time because we were living in a home for german girls that the my diet was different and I never had trouble with weight because I could eat whatever I want. But now they were feeding me different foods like cheese fondue, different cheeses. The chocolate bars were bigger, bread and butter, potatoes, sausages, you know. And then in ballet class, I could wear sweatpants and it kind of covers up anything that's going on. And one day my director called me into the office and his assistant Pierre um, said, well, actually Pierre said, Alfonso wants you in the office. And so I came in and the office is a 10 by 10, very small. And they said, we want you to get on that scale. I go, what? 
Oh, and goodness. I said, yes. And I said, no. And they go, yes. And they went, no. And they started chasing me around the room, which was no. very small. And I'm running. <laughs> and finally, Pierre grabs me. And Pierre was shorter. And I'm like, let go. Let go. I'll do this on my own. And so I got on the scale. And I was like, whoa, I gained 10 pounds. I couldn't believe it. And I was like in tears. And, and the director said, well, what are you going to do about this? I guess I'm going to lose it next week. And he goes, we don't have to lose it that fast. But I just want you to be aware that you've been gaining weight. And I said, I didn't even know I did. And, I, and he said, okay, well, take your time and, and just be aware. And I ran to the bathroom and I just cried. And I just felt like I didn't even know that that was happening. And, oops, and there's my time. <laughs> Then um, what happened was I lost the weight and then I started getting all these solos and principal roles. That's quite, a, quite an extraordinary sort of snippet, isn't it, in terms of you know, <laughs> what it was like as a young dancer arriving in, a, in the European city. And it's funny enough, I mean, these days it still happens that 10 pounds as soon as you arrive in London is somehow still seems to um, uh, attach itself to, to almost anyone, not just dancers. It's quite funny. But um, you said you've got soloist roles really quickly. Uh, must have happened quite quickly, becoming a principal at just 19. What did that feel like? That must have been quite a, a lot of responsibility for yourself. Such a it, it, it was huge. Um, I remember once George Balanchine came and we were performing a ballet called Four Temperaments. And I was dancing in the core at that, you know, core was four dancers in, in this ballet. And he told Alfonso he wanted me to do the lead, Choleric. But it was going to be in three days. <laughs> and like, oh, my God, my first big role. And I've got three days to prepare for it. And, and the role choleric is very strong and dynamic. And I'm more adagio and lyrical. And I was like, ah, I was freaking out. And it finally came and I did it. And um, I don't think I did it as well as I could have done it because of all that pressure. And it was really difficult. Um, so that wasn't such a fun experience. <laughs> no, learning that role in three days is quite an ask of a young dancer, any dancer, in fact. Um, that's, quite a, that's quite an ask of you. Well, I think once you do more um, big roles, you're used to, you know, quickly learning something and you don't feel the pressure of like, oh, I'm the prima ballerina in this part. You know, when you're in the core, yes, you do want to be the best you can. But all of a sudden getting the, the big role, it, 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 it's, there's another element, emotional element that you have to deal with. But I think when you're used to dealing with that as, as time went on, you know, like I could just jump into a role easily. And I think that's true in life with anybody who's doing something that, and then all of a sudden their boss is asking them to do something different if they're not used to jumping into something new. It's frightening. But I think once you get more used to being spontaneous and jumping into things, you can just jump right in. 
And tell us about um, your experience of working with Balanchine. I, I mean, I'm almost desperate to sort of hear what that was like from a dancer's point of view. I mean, we've been, you know, obviously reading so much, you know, about his work over 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 time. And of course, you know, there's been the, the incredible gala recently to celebrate his works. And his work is available now on YouTube and dancers get to research. And But tell us about your experience. Oh, every every time I worked with him, it was absolutely magical. Uh, you have to remember, growing up at the School of American Ballet, he was God. And so, you, working with God, <laughs> you, you just, he could do no wrong. And the respect that he got was huge and well-deserved. Um, he was a master. He was so musical and um i just resonated with his style so well and he he was kind um i remember there is a story that um once patricia neary when um i was with the grand Théâtre de Genève, uh, for three years and then patricia neary um, took it over. And when Patricia Neary took it over, she wanted me to do this role, the, the principal role of Bugaku, which is a Japanese marriage ceremony. And then the night of, you know, the honeymoon. <laughs> <laughs> and she said, Balanchine is going to come and work with us, but he's going to leave after the opening. And I don't think he's going to want you to dance a lead because you're tall. And he made the role for Allegra Kent, who was like maybe five foot four or five foot five. And, you know, I'm not, she said. So what I'll do is I want you to dance the second night when he's gone and he won't even know you're doing the role, but I know you're going to be fabulous. I said, okay. And she said, and when he's here for dress rehearsal, what's going to happen is Cheryl Wrench will do the dress rehearsal she's doing the lead of bugaku on the opening night and then balancing will go to lunch and then when he's at lunch we'll have you do the dress rehearsal on stage so i said okay so cheryl did it and then then balance it was over and balance she said okay dear i'm going to go to lunch now <laughs> and uh, he, he went off and then i put on my costume and went on stage and pat said okay let's start and we put on the music and I started dancing. And then all of a sudden, Balanchine comes back from the wings onto the stage. And he goes, oh, I forgot something. And then he looks at me and he looks at Pat and he goes, what's she doing there? And like, we both froze like, oh, shoot, he's going to be so angry. And, and she said, well, um, I decided Stephanie should dance second cast of this. And he goes, oh, let me see. So I started dancing and he goes, oh, fabulous. Let me hope. <laughs> and he just spent the next hour working with me and taking my foot to my head. And oh, good. I want bigger, bigger. Yes, beautiful. And it was such a special moment. 
Oh, that's just, um, I can visualise everything that you are saying. This is just <laughs> wonderful. Was that your only sort of time or, or was he around? Oh, no, 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 Lot, lots of times. I mean, when we did Serenade, um, we, we were three principal dancers and a male dancer. And there was one time when we had to run one by one to the male dancer and have the male dancer hug us and then we do a back bend into his arm and we stay there till the next dancer comes runs hug falls back into the arm and my my body and then the third dancer does the same thing and the balancing said no darling dear he's talking to the male dancer he says you must you must hug them like you're loving them and you've got three women. How lucky could you get? You've got to own this. <laughs> oh, that's so wonderful. And did you dance, you know, being that's his you know, company where he's the artistic director, did you did you dance just, just his works like the, you know, the Pas de and um, you mentioned the Four Temperaments um, already and Symphony C and you, you danced all of these works? I did Agon. I was known for Agon mostly and Symphony and C second movement, Suzanne Farrell's roles. And there was one time that I got to do Apollo, which was my mm -hmm. dream come true. And um, Midsummer's Night Dream, Tatiana. Uh, yeah, I was very lucky. And what did it feel like uh, dancing Apollo, as you say, was your uh, dream? I think I like to share my story so other people can understand the realities of what goes on as a ballerina, that it's not just the ballerina dancing, bowing, getting roses, but there's, there's reality behind that. So I knew I was going to be dancing Apollo, and um, we were going on tour, and I was... It was my dream come true, but um, my calf started hurting. So I went to the doctor, and the doctor in Switzerland gave me prednisone. And it started getting better, but I don't normally take medications and pills. And as a dancer, I think you're very in tune with your body and you're, you're very in tune with, well, some dancers are more in tune with their emotions and their feelings and their everything. Because to be a ballerina, you have to, you have to control your body through being in tune with it. So, yeah, I kept taking this prednisone and um, I started getting emotional and it was kind of like hormonally, I felt off. And it, it was like a dream come true. My, my calf was sort of hurting me, but it was getting, I don't know, a little better. And then we go on tour. Uh, we were in Germany. And that night, I was going to dance Apo um, Apollo, the lead, Terpsichore. And then I was going to do Agon, the pas de deux, the lead, and then um, Western Symphony. So it was a lot, a lot to do. And um, I performed Apollo that night, and it was like it was like a dream come true. It was really fabulous. And then I I did Agon, 
And it was like, it was great. And then I did Western Symphony. And then afterwards, uh, oh, yeah, we had one more symphony, um, another another ballet. I can't remember. Symphony and it wasn't Symphony and C. It was Symphoniata. I forget the name of it. But anyway, at the that ballet, all of a sudden, my calf started hurting. And um, my friend, I came off stage and I was going to go back on again. I said to my friend, Debbie, it's like, oh, my calf is killing me. I can hardly move on it. And she said, well, don't worry, Stephanie. Just go out there. Move your arms beautifully. You're alone on stage. No one will ever know. And so I did. I went out. I didn't do the the bottom half, (laughs) you know, what I had to do. But I was just, you know, doing arms and smiling and pretending, oh, everything is fine. (laughs) And then, you know, we bow and then I come off stage and then I hear the director like, saying what happened what happened she ruined the ballet stephanie ruined the ballet what happened and i'm like freaking out so i run into an, the the core dressing room and i hide underneath the table a dressing table thinking oh i'm so scared that i you know that i ruined the ballet and then I turn the light off, you know, and then everybody's looking for me and I hear, where is she? Where is she? I can't find her. Did you look in her room? Yes, I did. She's not there. And her, you know, the assistant said, I can't find her either. And then all of a sudden, Pat Miri walks into this dressing room and she looks under the table and she goes, what are you doing there? I said, I didn't mean to ruin the ballet. I just, my cat hurt. She goes, oh, you poor dear. Come on, let's take you to the hospital. (laughs) (laughs) So they took me to the hospital in Germany. And um, they said, oh, you have a torn calf muscle. And um, this German woman comes with two pails of mud. She's holding two pails, this big German nurse woman has two pails of mud in her hand and I'm just sitting on the table and she walks in and she says in German, Oh my gosh, what happened? Did you break both your feet? Because as a ballerina, our feet just normally drop down. And she goes, Oh, you poor thing. I said, no, 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 that's just my feet. (laughs) (laughs) And then she wraps the, mud on my calf the doctor comes in and pat miri is there and the doctor says she can't dance she's got a torn calf and pat miri says well but she's got to dance tomorrow and so tomorrow we were only there for two days tomorrow the second cast of apollo was debbie she was dancing the role so we didn't have to worry about that but i still had agon in western symphony and they said well she doesn't have an understudy for Agon. And the only understudy that we could get for Western Symphony is the assistant director who hasn't danced in a couple of years and, you know, was a little bit heavier. And so I said, well, I'll tell you what, if you give me an injection, I'll, I'll do it. I said, but if the injection wears off, I want you to promise me Pat, <laughs> that you will jump on because you know the role. Not that Pat's been performing, but she knows it. And that, you know, your sister can do Western Symphony. And they promised that would be okay. So 
they had to give me the injection in the morning because that's when the doctor could do it, it which was not a good idea. They probably should have given it to me right before the performance. And then uh, first ballet, you know, we do the warm up before the ballet and I'm, I'm doing great. And then the first ballet, Apollo, good. Then intermission. And then five minutes till showtime for Agon. I'm, you know, on stage warming up and everything. And I've got my partner, Jonas, there. And then all of a sudden, it wore off. I couldn't put any weight on my foot at all. Mm-hmm. And I'm like thinking, okay, I, how can you how can you do a pot of dough (laughs) when you can't put weight on your, and I just said, I just said to my partner, I can't, I can't put weight on my foot. And he said, well, that's it. You're not performing. And you know, he took care of me right away. He says, Jonas Kage, you're not performing. And so we called the assistant director and the assistant director was not very happy with me because that meant she had to do the Western symphony, which, you know, I felt bad that she had to do it. And Pat Neary, they had to call her from the audience, (laughs) you know, and she ran and she put her leotard and tights on and lipstick and she ran on and did it. But, that was that was a story. Wow, that's extraordinary! Extraordinary. It's interesting, you know, how I wonder whether or not things like that happen today. Of course, you know, dance um, uh, health and the support that dancers have phys- physically and emotionally is obviously you know changed enormous amounts of time uh, over time, and the, the sort of medical support that dancers get nowadays is probably. I would say different um, and would hope that we wouldn't be people hurting themselves quite so much. But then dancers, like you say, you're perfectionists and you push yourself and you don't ever want to let anyone down. Yeah, no, I, I think as a person also, you know, I'm the same way or I was, I'm, I'm a little bit maturing, I'm hoping, <laughs> um, where, you know, you say yes, you just say yes. And you just want to please. And I think now as I mature in life, I'm learning it takes courage to say no. And it takes courage to be who you are, especially if you're a people pleaser. Um, Because you're scared people might not like you if you're not pleasing them. But I think in the long run, what happens is you have more communication with people so people know who you are and vice versa. And if people like you for who you are, then you could be who you are. And as a dancer, that must make you perhaps um, more authentic as a, as a dancer as well. If you're Totally, yes. Yeah, I totally agree with you. Because when you go on stage and you are who you are and you have the confidence to be who you are, then it projects and there's another interesting story. <laughs> Please. <laughs> um, you know, I am, I am older now. Um, I'm on the fence whether or not to share my age. But um, I, after my performing life, I did get married. And I adopted a beautiful daughter from China and um, was a mother. And I developed this exercise fitness program called Pilates Ballet, where I therapeutically like to help um, 
people that have never danced, people that, you know, are professional dancers. And I have a very unique way of looking at the body and understanding the body so I can see like with my x-ray visions, if somebody's saying their hip hurts, I look at the body and I go, well, it's because you're um, supinating on your right foot, and which means that you're on the outside of the right foot. And I think if you allowed your arch to come down a little bit, then what's going to happen, your inner thigh will start getting strengthened and that will put less pressure on your hip. And when I work with people, I like to educate them neuropathically how to own these specific muscles. I don't just say, okay, do 10 of these and 10 of those, but like, can you find that muscle? Can you feel it? And then you can own it. And then once you own it, you activate it, which is all part of a ballerina's education also. So I developed Pilates Ballet and I was a mother and I was a wife and I had have a great life. But there was this little part of me that kept itching to want to perform again. And um, I realized, okay, my daughter's going to go to college next year and maybe I should do something about this. So a dear friend of mine said that she would give me um, acting classes as a gift and she would come with me because I couldn't drive. I was such a good driver because uh, I learned how to drive at the age of 43. And so she said, I'll take you to San Francisco, which is about an hour away, and we'll take acting lessons together. So we did. And in acting class, there was an exercise where we had to stand on a box one, one at a time. And everybody in the class, like 17 students, had to say all the wonderful things about you. And um, you had to repeat it and you had to own it. And if the class felt you weren't owning it, they would repeat it over and over and over again till they felt you owned it. So, like, they would say, you're beautiful. And I go, I'm beautiful. They go, mm, you're beautiful. I'm beautiful. You're beautiful. I'm beautiful. Till they felt I owned it. And then they'd go on, you're wise. I'm wise. You're smart. You're nice. You're this. And then they said, you're talented. I could not own I'm talented. And they kept at me. You're talented. I'm like, I'm talented. And they kept at me and kept saying it. And everyone one at a time would say, you're talented. You're talented. And I, I just felt I couldn't own it. And tears started going down my cheeks. And I started thinking, why am I not owning this? And then finally I said, with courage, I'm talented. And they said, good. And I walked off the box. And later on, I started thinking, what, what happened? Why couldn't I own I'm talented? And then I started realizing that, you know, I worked with Balanchine and Nereyev and Baryshnikov, and they're talented. And... Um, I'm always striving to be better and better and better. And so to take the moment to really own your talented doesn't really happen. And I started thinking, okay, I'm going to share my age. Yes, don't. You'll be inspiring so many others. <laughs> well, I just turned 68 years old. My so I was taking the acting class when I was 60. 
66 and 67. And I started thinking, well, gee, if I can't own my talent and here I want to be an actress, then it's not going to happen because you've got to own it. And if you own it, like we were saying before, if you own your truth, then it projects on stage. So I started thinking, okay, I need to own this. So I went to see Barishnikov. He did a one-man show with a friend. And I'm watching the show and I'm thinking, wow, that's so great that he can do this, you know? And then I started thinking, well, could I do it? I go, no, I'm not, I'm not Barishnikov. I can't do that. And I go, wait a minute. I've got to own my talent. Am I owning my talent by saying, no, I can't do that? And maybe I can do that. So I thought, all right, I'm going to take charge. I'm going to own my talent. And I'm going to do a one-woman show. And I went to this theater and I proposed an idea that I do a one-woman show. And they loved it. And they said, oh, we have an opening in three months. I go, great. Little did I think, <laughs> moxie and guts, <laughs> it was just an idea. I had no idea what I was going to do. It was just a fantasy, an idea that I thought I could do. And then I walked away thinking, oh, my God, what did I just do? <laughs> so... I, I tried writing and I realized I can't, I'm not, I'm, this is, I've never done this before. So I found a script writer, which was not easy. That took a process. And then I found through friends, a friends, a script writer. And the script writer said, write everything you can. So I wrote and I wrote and I wrote. And she edited it and put it down into, you know, like a three-act short film. Uh, not film, uh, play. And I was so proud. Yay, I've got it. And now I've got a, you know, choreograph in this. And I brought it to a friend, Jennifer Van Seal, who happens to write scripts uh, for Hollywood and also wrote several books on how to write, to do script screenwriting. So I showed it to her very proudly. And she goes, well, Stephanie, you know, that is not an A+. Plus, it's a B+. Plus. Uh, it's a B or a B plus. What do you want? Do you want an A plus or do you want a B or B plus? I go, of course I want an A plus. So, well, it it's very nice, but it doesn't have the guts and glory, the depth, the you know, like Casablanca. And so she said she would work with me to try to get the guts and the glory out of it, out of me. And she kept asking me to go deeper and deeper. And I did not know how to go deeper. I thought I was going deeper, but what I was doing was giving more details. And she kept saying, no, we want it deeper. And I kept staying up all night and writing. Meanwhile, I have one month left before my performance. I haven't choreographed anything. I don't have a script. I'm freaking out. What am I going to do? I'm like in tears. And like, I kept writing and writing. And she kept saying, we don't have it yet. We don't have it. And I just cried to her on the phone. I said, I can't do it. And she said, well, do you want me to take over and take charge? I said, please. And so she said, okay, I'll take your story. And overnight, I mean, she, she rewrote the whole thing and it had the depth and everything. And then she said, let's have a meeting with your, you know, with the closest people in, in your life, like my acting coach and my husband and this photographer who's done photographs and videos of me and her. And we 
all got together and we were saying, okay, what can we write? What can we write that makes this even deeper? And everybody had something to say. And then all of a sudden my husband said, well, what about that time when you were, you know, injured and you were back in New York and you couldn't dance so you took this job in la masquerade performing for bar mitzvahs and you had to dress up in these costumes and i started laughing hysterically with tears coming down my eyes saying oh i can't do that and everybody said yes you can that's it that's the deep that we're looking for (laughs) so we've jennifer you know and my husband and i you know started talking through all night and we got the script done with Jennifer's great expertise. And now I had three weeks left to choreograph it and put it all together and to also do PR and to find, you know, I had a vision that I wanted a mirror on the stage and I wanted a film in the background. And so Zita Ganji and Kador Lawrence were in charge of the video background, and um, I got them. Uh, Sheila was helping me as an assistant with the choreography, and my friend Shannon Stowe also. And um, we pulled it together. And uh, the night of, I got there. And um, there's so many other stories I can't tell you all because I'm writing my memoirs now. (laughs) Uh, And and I'm trying to write another memoir that can turn into a film or something. And it all, the memoir is going to start on the night of that performance. But it turned out that it was sold out, 300 seats. And I went on stage and my goal when I went on stage was I have to be honest I have to share my talent and I have to have the courage, even if it's not 250% technically great. And that was my goal of the night. And I, I did it. I just enjoyed it. I danced who I was and I was sharing my, my love, my music, how I interpreted the music and the story. And I got standing ovation and flowers thrown to me and it was it was like my farewell huh to celebrate your talent yes yes and it it was it kind of felt like my farewell performance that I never had Mm. and it was wonderful I've watched the video obviously and I was so moved by it and it is deep and it is honest and um it will, and it's remained with me as well. And, you know, we live in a time now where you see so many videos, they flick through and but it has remained with me, actually, um, that piece of work. And I, I think it's extraordinary. And I'd love for you just to tell that um, story, that moment where you had found yourself injured as a dancer and, and your journey back to New York. Tell us about that. So, um, I got injured as a dancer twice in my life, actually three times in my life. And um, the first time was when I decided I wanted to, it was three years at the Grand Théâtre de Genève, and I felt we weren't performing enough. And I really, I was, you know, at prime 21, I really wanted to perform more. So... I was going to get the courage to go to my director's office and tell him I was going to quit. So I went up to his office and he wasn't there. 
And then I go back down to the rehearsal room and I find out I get the lead, one of the leads in Showtime, uh, not show. Hey, I can't even remember the name of the show, show something. I can't remember the name of it, but it was um, Anthony Tudor from New York was was in to work with us and then he started working with me and it was very exciting and i thought well maybe things are going to change maybe we're going to perform more maybe this maybe that maybe i shouldn't quit and while i'm you know lifting my leg up high and doing back bends with my partner holding me and and i'm demi point and then all of a sudden my foot slips and my knee goes one way and my foot goes the other way and I fall to the ground and I'm looking at my kneecap and it's on the wrong side of my body. Oh my <laughs> and I'm in such pain and everybody runs to me in a circle and, you know, 40 dancers are just like staring at me and I'm like saying, like, I'm crying such pain because my kneecap was not where it should be. And they're all just staring at me like nobody knew what to do. And I just looked at them and looked at my knee and I just, I don't know, but instinctively I pushed my knee back into its alignment. And then uh, two of the male dancers lifted me up and put me on a chair and they put ice on and then they brought me to the hospital and they found out that I tore the cross ligaments under my kneecap and the, um, and the ACL. And um, they put me in a cast from my ankle to the top of my thigh, which is, I've got long legs, so it's a very big <laughs> cast. <laughs> and um, at that time, I was living with Anya, and we had a duplex with a spiral staircase that was very small and narrow. And so they took me home, and I have to go upstairs, which is the bedroom, and I, the only way to get upstairs was by my tushy <laughs> and to circle around and lift my, my you know, yeah. leg up that was in a cast to get me around. Uh, and I finally got into the bed and uh, I decided I was going to go back home. But it was, it was interesting. I don't, you know, yes, I fell because the floor was slippery. Um, but my mind also was in conflict. Mm. You know, I was going to quit. Should I stay? Mm. You know, so there was a lot going on. And then I decided to go back home. And um, when I went back home, my, um, it, it was a different, you know, I've been three years as living on my own as a principal ballerina. And now I'm back as the youngest kid in the family and um, my mother and father telling me what to do. And it's just, wait a minute, nobody's told me except for the director what to do. And again, emotionally, what's going to happen to me? Am I ever going to dance again? Who am I if I'm not a dancer? It must have been hard, actually. It was very hard. It was there, yeah, cultural shock again, coming back to Manhattan. And, um, you know, going back to Manhattan, I was a dancer, but I wasn't a dancer. So if I wasn't a dancer, who was I? And um, my mother luckily found Carola Trier, who was the first disciple of Joseph Pilates. And uh, Carola worked with me. And she actually got me back stronger than I was before I, I got injured. Mm -hmm. And I thought, oh, my God, Pilates, this is fabulous. Like, 
I, I can now be choleric. <laughs> I can be strong and also adagio. But, you know, that time was really hard because um, even though I could dance, I didn't, I wasn't, you know, I wasn't going to go back to Switzerland and I had to find, a, you know, a company. What was I going to do? I'm still five foot nine and six feet one on point and... You know, even though I'm a principal dancer, you need to have a male dancer tall enough to dance with me. So I auditioned for Pennsylvania Ballet, and Barbara Weisberger was the director, and she was at the audition. And after half the audition, I got booted out, and I went into the dressing room, and I was just so like, oh, my God, what am I going to do? You know, what am I going to do? And Barbara walks in to the... um, dressing room and she comes over to me and she said i i really need to talk to you she said you are the most beautiful dancer i have ever seen and i don't want you to think that we didn't take you because you weren't good enough she said but we don't have a male dancer tall enough for for you and that's what we would want was you to get all the lead roles And I don't want you to walk away thinking it's because you're not a good dancer. And I hugged her and I walked away thinking, oh, this is fabulous. And then I realized, but I don't have a job. (laughs) (laughs) And then I would audition for other companies and it was, oh, you're gorgeous, but you're too tall. And it was like, what am I going to do? And then I, you know, had to take these odd jobs and, one of them was with La Masquerade and, um, you know, getting into a tennis racket and dancing with the bar mitzvah boy. And it's kind of humiliating. Yeah. And, you know, then I joined this group called um, Career Transitions for Dancers. And they're, they gave me one-on-one help with trying to discover who could I be if I'm not a dancer and who am I mm. if I'm not a dancer. And I spent a year in exploration internally and emotionally and took on some, you know, telemarketing jobs and still working with the masquerade. And mm. finally, Pat Neary calls me up and says, um, we're looking would you like to dance with our company? I took over the company. We're performing more in Switzerland. And I said, yes. And so that's how I came back to Switzerland again. And then Pat Neary brought the company from Geneva to Zurich, which now is German speaking. (laughs) (laughs) So I do know a little German. I do know French. And um, so... Yeah. Those are some of my stories. Yeah, it's quite, it's no wonder that you're we're all writing a memoir and thinking of a film, <laughs> and it would be absolutely wonderful to read your entire life because I could sit and listen to them all night and see a film being made of a female uh, dancer would be absolutely wonderful as well. And speaking of um, uh, amazing dancers, you, as you mentioned before, you danced with Mikhail Baryshnikov and Nureyev. You, you must tell us about those. So let's start with your um, dancing with Bodishnikov first. Um, I think you guys should watch Ballerina One Woman play. 
yes, uh, film, <laughs> which um, actually I just wanted to share that film has been accepted into six film festivals and I just won the Platinum Award, Gold Awards uh, for choreography, best drama short. And it's very exciting and I'm looking for places to screen it and guest teach. Um, but it will be on YouTube, Ballerina One Woman Play, or on my website, PilatesBallet.com, if you want to view it. Uh, and I tell stories about Baryshnikov and Nerea. So I don't know if I want to ruin it, but I will share that when I was a teenager, I played hooky from school in order to get tickets to see Nerea dance and perform. I got into trouble, but luckily I was able to go and watch him. And I saw him fly off of the wings and just, he not only was technically beautiful and a giant jumper, and he was emotionally dramatic. And there was just so much beauty when the chemistry between him and Margot Fontaine was fabulous. Little did I know that... Um, you know, 20 years later, I would be dancing the lead with him. So that was like a dream come true. And I felt like the second he walked into our studio to see who he was picking, there there was like this chemistry between us. Um, I couldn't even describe. It was like our souls were connected. It wasn't sexual, you know, at all. It was it – was, it was like we didn't have to speak, but we kind of felt each other. And he picked me to be his mother in this ballet. And I felt so honored. And I, too, feel as a dancer, I was also emotionally dramatic. And in this role, I was able to act but I didn't feel it was acting because I felt in the moment I was this mother that was getting angry at my son. And um, he choreographed the anger movements and everything. And when he would come to hug me and run to me, uh, we both were there. We were in the moment. I was the mother. He was the son. He was coming to me. And we really... We were there. We felt it. We owned it. And it was so magical. What an extraordinary opportunity. But to have that in, in your life um, as, and as an artist and as a dancer, how like absolutely extraordinary. Um, and like you say, everyone should definitely watch Ballerina of One More Play, which will be on <laughs> YouTube and on PilatesBallet.com. Um, and tell us about Baryshnikov quickly. We've got a short little... little well, you know, um, Brzezikov is Russian. I am part Russian heritage and Romanian. And um, when I was with Nureyev, I almost felt like because of um, something in my DNA from being from Russia was the same as something in his DNA. And when I met Brzezikov, it was kind of the same thing. Um, and we were so excited he was coming and he walks into the studio and he looks around to see where he's going to stand for the ballet class. And he stands right behind me. <laughs> I'm like, Oh my God. And I'm like, 
trying to be very professional and do everything right, thinking, oh, I can't do anything wrong. And, you know, and he would keep saying to me, uh, I don't understand what the step was. And I tried very hard to be like, okay, it's four times front, passe, coupe bag, devil paid to the size, suit new. And he goes, yes. And this kept going on and on and on. And like every step he would, excuse me. And <laughs> after a while, I started realizing, I think he's flirting with me. <laughs> and, I, you know, he, he said it one more time and I was, I just, I'm very playful. And I just turned around and I said, will you pay attention? <laughs> and we, we just giggled and that was kind of the start of something very magical that our friendship had. Oh, that's wonderful. I love that you cheekily told him off. <laughs> it took, probably it say took that. a couple of steps to do it. <laughs> oh, that's absolutely, absolutely wonderful. But we must also talk um, about founding your own company. You've found more than one in your time and your Pilates Ballet is taking off a huge storm or continuing to. So tell us about your experience of um, becoming an entrepreneur and a businesswoman yourself. And no doubt you have brought many an attribute from your life as a dancer into your business world. Yes. Um, you know, as I said, I've been injured majorly um, maybe four times in my life. And with every injury, again, you go into who am I as a person? What am I going to be if I can't walk or if I can't this or if I can't dance or if I'm in pain for the rest of my life? And you're always asking yourself and then you're always searching for the right doctor, the right physical therapist to understand you and to listen to you. And I think there were three years of my life where I was injured for three full years and um, it went from a back injury to a knee injury. So year and a half back, year and a half knee. And I was not really dancing, but I was working with Pilates and also found uh, Julio Horvath with gyrotonic suspension system, working with him directly and um, just, I couldn't even sit because the pain was so bad. So I never went to movies. I never went out to dinner. I would have to lie down in a cab to get somewhere. And again, searching my soul. Who am I? Who am I going to be in my life? And um, I remember um, Julio came over for dinner once and we had a lot of wine with his girlfriend and he said I think I can help you and I said okay he says but it's gonna hurt and I go okay I had enough wine do what you want to do and he like punched as hard as he could on my spine I saw stars and then I stood up and I had no pain in the back and it was just amazing. But the next morning I woke up and the pain was in my knee. <laughs> so then I had a like, okay, now what do I do with my knee? And so it took a year and a half. And then I finally found the right physical therapist who told me, you know, what you're doing is you have to strengthen your knee in a certain area that nobody else said before. And during those three years, I started researching ways of curing myself, kinesiology, learning about the anatomy. And um, I think that experiencing, experiencing that helped me understand the body even deeper 
because as a ballerina, you do understand the body a lot. But now I understood more of the anatomy and the bone rhythms and how your bones work within its joints. And if it's not working properly, it could cause compensation and pain. So I started developing um, the Pilates Ballet and really therapeutically helping people who are injured uh, understand why their body was compensating, which muscles were not properly activating, and what they needed to activate. So when I was working with dancers, and when I work with dancers, they understand when I tell them, oh, your adductor, your inner thigh muscles are not really activating, your VMO, the muscle right around the kneecap needs to be strengthened, you need to find it, this is how you can find it. And they would quickly understand what I'm talking about. But when I work with people that haven't danced, um, they don't know how to find certain muscles. You know, like if you're trying to find your abs or your right side of your ab, your internal oblique, you can't just say, okay, try to, try to contract that muscle. They look at you like you're crazy. And so a physical therapist might say, okay, let's do crunches to find it. You know, but what happens is I think people who are injured and trying to find certain muscles to help get strengthened, they just do, like Nike says, just do it. They just do the 10 crunches, but they're not neuropathically owning which specific muscle they have to own. And that's what I feel is different about my work with people is I really try to educate somebody to find the muscle, educate them. What is the muscle? Okay, this is your internal oblique and the internal oblique wraps around your pelvis. And let me show you a picture of what the skeleton looks like and the anatomy of the motion and what does the skeleton do. And um, then I, I have them touch it and I say, can you feel that? And they go, yeah, I can sensory feel it. I said, can you try to contract it? And they go, well, no, not really. And then I give them certain exercises, like three different ones, till they start going, ah, I feel it now. And so I said, good. So now you neuropathically, your brain can start strengthening that specific area. So you will build more muscle fiber in that particular area, opposed to a whole bunch of group muscles trying to get strong. I try to break down specifically each individual muscle group that will work together with another muscle or a skeleton, part of the skeleton, that will help a person get out of their compensation patterns. Wow, that's extraordinary. <laughs> and I say that because um, I've had chronic back pain for about uh, maybe 16 years. So I have to say, I wish you lived in London. <laughs> I will be coming to London in March. Well, it's a, it's a hard life living with um, pain. Pain is yes. it's a, it's a, a unique um, experience, I think, on a, on a short-term but also on a long-term basis, psychologically as well as physically. Um, and I love the way that you talk about um, owning the pain almost in a psychological way or in a, in a way that isn't just physical. And so it's you know, quite, quite an interesting way of approaching it, I think. Not, uh, not, not, um, not what everyone does. I, I'm not sure I've ever had a physio tell me that. <laughs> 
you gave us your your age, 68, obviously, you know, look at 68, and you've had an extraordinary career, and I love that you have created this film at this point in your life, um, which, as you mentioned, has won a gold award from the Hollywood Independent Filmmakers Award and others, um, which I think is just so very inspiring. And I'm um, really interested in sort of, you know, the life after or the life beyond being a professional ballerina and particularly someone of your calibre, um, but for all dancers, you know, looking back over your, your extraordinary career, what sort of advice do you have for those dancers who are facing retirement or who are facing um, the decision to perhaps either physically or otherwise that they are going to be stepping off the stage? I almost feel that when they are in their dance school, um, they it'd be wonderful if the teachers um, educate the kids on career transitions because whether you make it or you don't make it, you're still going to go through a career transition. And, you know, kids go to college to try to figure out who they're going to be. And I think dancers have the dream when they're young and they know they want to be. And in order to be a dancer, you have to give your heart, mind, body, and soul so much. So you have no room really to start thinking about, oh, what am I going to do if I can never dance or things like that? And I almost wish, I know that they have in, in, um, in, Los Angeles and New York career transitions for dancers. And I'm, I want to connect with them and tell them that, you know, what I might want to do is to do some kind of a fundraiser to help support them and kids going through career transitions and dancers going through career tra transitions as I also become a role model to others in some way and also to 68 year olds <laughs> that you can still move on. It doesn't mean that you have to stop. And um, I just think it's something that people, kids should think about. Just think about it. Don't be afraid to think about it. You know, I think if you want to be a ballerina, you're so scared to think, oh, what, what, you know, what else can I be? Well, keep thinking and holding on to the dream that you want to be a ballerina. Don't let go of that dream, but be realistic and think, okay, there might be a time when I can't. What else do I like? Do I like cooking? Do I want to be a chef? Do I like painting? Do I want to be a graphic designer? Kind of explore your different talents <laughs> and don't be afraid to just think or fantasize what else could I be um, when the time comes so that you prepare yourself kind of like when older people prepare themselves for retirement. What am I going to do when I retire? Where am I going to live? You know, it's, it's kind of, don't be afraid to think about it. It doesn't mean that it's going to happen and it doesn't have to happen right away, but it's not going to hurt you to think about it. 
Well, that is absolutely amazing advice, Stephanie. I've absolutely loved listening to your stories. And everyone listening around the world, get onto PilatesBallet.com and look, watch this beautiful video, Ballerina, a one-woman play with Stephanie Herman, because it is absolutely fantastic and so deserving of all of the awards and accolades that you are you're getting with this. And what, what an inspiring journey and what an inspiring story. Thank you so much for joining us, Stephanie. Don't forget to subscribe. We've got some incredible interviews coming up with principal ballerinas and renowned choreographers. We love dance and ballet, and we hope you'll love us. Join us on Facebook and Twitter.